Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, October 25th, 2020, called Another Sola, One Hope, given by Pastor Jonathan Dinger. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So there's a sermon outline if you'd like to follow along on this Reformation Day. I always like to just take a moment just to remind people what this is about. Um, and actually, I tell this story. I, I was going to tell it later in the, in the uh, sermon. But there's an old joke that goes like this that says... Uh, so this guy dies, goes to, goes to the pearly gates, St. Peter's there to greet him, and he says, oh, welcome on into heaven. And he says, wow, I've always wondered what this is like. And so he goes into heaven, and he looks around, and he sees all these amazing things and people, and people are mixing together and welcoming each other, and it's a place filled with joy and contentment and peace. And then as he goes around, he notices way over there in the corner, there's this group of people that are all huddled together, and they're not interacting with anybody else. And he says to him, hey, who are those people? He said, well, those are the Lutherans. They think they're the only ones up here. So, I mean, it's a, actually, you can put any denomination to that, too. Every denomination claims that joke. But it's an interesting thing because people sometimes seem to think that Lutheran is a new religion or some kind of new thing. It's not. In fact, it's almost, Martin Luther was so embarrassed that they were called Lutherans, he, he called the church evangelicals. That was, his, that was what he did because that means gospel. So it was gospel. It was all about the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And so that's never the goal. When we celebrate Reformation, it's not to celebrate Martin Luther. It's not to celebrate, even to be honest, a Reformation which ended up causing this division in the church and resulted in anger and heartache and so forth. But at the same time, it was really a desire to come back to the Bible, to come back to the simple, that New Testament church. That was the idea of it. So that when we celebrate it, we're celebrating these things on these banners here on the wall. Grace and faith, Scripture and Christ. That's what we're celebrating. So it's, this first part of the sermon that I have to share with you here is actually I credit it to my son. My son was helped, helped me out with this because, you know, we love watching movies. And some of the movies that I love are like Star Trek and, um, and then one of my favorites, Tim, my favorite Tim Allen movie, Galaxy Quest, is a, my favorite Tim Allen movie. Um, Santa Claus is great, too. But, I mean, um, Galaxy Quest is great. And then uh, even, uh, my, I'm a geek, Lord of the Rings, um, when they have to, you know, Frodo and Sam are climbing up the mountain. Um, and I think of any number of these, um, any number of these, they kind of hinge on there is this cosmic or epic battle or problem, whether it might be Sauron in the one place, or in Galaxy Quest, it's the kind of reptile dude, or, or whatever it is, and Star Trek, you know, with uh, Spock has to sacrifice, only, there's only one way to save the day, right? They're left with one option, and Spock will say something like, the chances of success on this are one in, you know, however many million or whatever. But the one that kind of really exemplified it for me, this is where I'd ask David, was the Marvel movies. Which one is it? Is it Infinity War or Endgame? 
Infinity War. Okay, I knew he would get that right for me. So there's one scene where everything looks, everything's going against them. Everything is stacked against them. And Doctor Strange ends up going through, because he can transverse space and time, so he goes through all of the scenarios where the Avengers try to defeat their enemy called Thanos. Thanos means death, right? So it's that, that whole idea. And so they go through, and so he plays out all these scenarios, and he gets done, and essentially they ask him, so do we ever win, essentially? Yeah, you win one time. How many scenarios did you go through? And I said to David, I said, it's like, it's like uh, 14 million, isn't it? He goes, I could see him rolling his eyes on the other end of the phone. No, Dad, it's 14,605, right? So 14 million, he's, uh, so I always could call on him for expertise. 14,605 scenarios, and in only one of them, do they defeat Thanos? Now, this is, this is kind of is really the context that I want to set for you here. When you hear that, when you hear that, like in Lord of the Rings, there's one chance. We got to take the ring and we got to throw it in the volcano. One chance. You know, or if it's Star Trek, Spock has to go into the nuclear chamber and die. There's one chance. There's one chance for success. If you're in that scenario, how, do you, how does that make you feel? So on the one hand, right, I remember the old, there were these old FedEx commercials that used to just make me crack up. So this was their tagline for FedEx. This package has to be in Houston by tomorrow morning or we're all doomed, right? That one, they would, they would do this, we're all doomed. They would just say that all over each other. Or, so do you feel like that? There's no hope. We're doomed. Or, is it the guy from Dumb and Dumber, when he's pursuing the gal, and she says, if you were the last man on earth, and he says, so you're saying there's a chance. Right? Which one is it? You see, it's interesting in our culture today, when you say one hope, That's what we're talking about today, aren't we? One authority. There's one grace. There's one faith. There's one Savior. That you can respond two ways to that. One of them is, how dare you? How dare you tell me that I can't just believe what I want to believe? How dare you tell me that the only authority on matters of the spirit and of my heart and soul and eternity is God's revealed word? How dare you tell me that there is one baptism? Look what Paul says. One baptism, one body, one God and Father of us all. How dare you? Because I'm afraid we live in that culture. This is not unique to this time, but I would say it's fairly, fairly prominent today. How dare you? Or, so you're saying there's a chance. There's a chance that God could love me. There's a chance I can be his child. There's more than a chance because he has declared it to be so. So do you see that as great hope and great confidence that we know we have a way? I mean, if you watch Marvel movies, are you really worried that they won't get that one out of 14,605? I'm pretty sure they're going to manage. 
And so when I see that there's, when I, when I watch these movies, and when I read The Lord of the Rings, which I devoured as a kid when I was 12, and, and I continue to reread them and reread them, and I'm filled with hope and encouragement because of the noble sacrifice and the persistence of faithfulness, even though there's just one chance it gives me great hope. That's the, that, in many ways, folks, is the message of the Reformation. And what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians to the people in Ephesus, when you stop to look at this, clearly they are struggling with this issue. I mean, and if you didn't notice this, and to be honest, I wrote my outline on Monday, and if I had, had, the, if I had been on top of it, it was yesterday, not yesterday, Friday, that I looked at this and said, Holy cow, there's seven ones in this. Seven, by the way, is a big-time number in the Bible. Seven is a symbolic number that means God is all over this. God designed this. God planned this. It's perfect. So seven is a God number in the Bible. And see, I only have five for you. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. Seven ones. You think Paul did that on purpose? Yes. Just so you know, he is saying all of those together give us our one Savior, Jesus Christ. Our one hope in him. And so what Paul is trying to do is not discourage us because it's one out of 14,605,000. He's trying to encourage us because there's one. And there's, you, you don't have to worry, did I pick the right size? Is it the right color? Was I old enough when I gave my heart to Jesus? Did I understand it? Do I, can I understand the Trinity? No. Can I understand what's going on? Why am I forgetting? Who's, it's not. No, it's just Jesus. Folks, it's just Jesus. You know what? When, Luther, when the Reformation happened, you know what one of the great criticisms of Luther was? Many people said to him, you're making it too easy. You're making it too easy. It's just Jesus. It's too easy. Or here was another one they said. You're taking away all these things from, that comforted people in the church forever. Praying to saints, lighting candles, venerating icons, um, stained glass, uh, robes and vestments and all kinds of things. Penance and rituals and rites. All these things in the Catholic Church that had been layered on, layered on. And you know what happened with every layer? It obscured more and more Jesus Christ and the sufficiency of his love alone. And so the Reformation was simply peeling back and peeling back and peeling back until what you had was just Jesus. And so some people hated it. Because they put their trust in other things. Things they could control. Things that they could do. They could create their list and present it to God. When God in his gentleness and tenderness could say, but I gave you my son. Was that not enough? Was the gift of my son insufficient for you? And so that's really the message that we hear on this Reformation, what Paul is giving us here. Let me share this with you real quickly. There's five things here that I want to share with you. These Reformation solas, these hope, and it was a dark time in the church. And even now, it can be a, we can talk about this being a challenging dark time in which we long for some light. Um, here's the one. I, I already told you the story about the Lutherans who think they're the only ones up here. But Paul starts by saying there's one body. You know what that means? That means that we have one father. That comes later. 
Because we have one father, we are one family. Because we all have the same father, we have one. So we are unified together in one body. I love this, that in our community, and we have worked at it, it did not happen by accident. But God called us together and we have worked. There's a group of us, seven or eight of the Christian churches in town, and we work together. First Baptist closed on the property and now owns the property that is adjacent to them that, they, that we are longing as a community to create Valley Mission, to be able to serve and meet the needs of people. That's a cause for celebration. We did that with them. We partnered with that on them. Thank God. I am longing for the day, talking with Pastor Green over at Rocky Mountain Ministry, of when we're hoping next spring we can have our concerts here back again, in which I must insert two layers of earplugs, and then the three hot, awesome Christian rock bands come and shoot the roof off of our building. And we do it together as to reach our community for Christ. Or when the backpacks, we're praying that next summer we might be able to do it again in person to help the 2,000 kids, the 5,000 or more people that we have partnered with on Gate City to be able to, to get what I'm saying. The more we do those things, we are saying to people, there is one family, one body. That's what God has called us to. So every opportunity we have to be able to, to, to share that with one another, to be encouraged by that. You know what's interesting about that? Did you hear what I just said? It wasn't just Lutherans. A whole bunch of us. So it's not like there's no choices. It's one family. That's what Paul is talking about. There's one family. The second one, this is an old joke that I've told you too. The guy is riding along and he kind of falls. He's riding near the cliff and he slips and he falls. And as he's going down the cliff, he grabs hold of the root that's sticking out. He's dangling there. There's no one around. So he's yelling for help. Is there anybody up there? It's quiet for a moment. All of a sudden, he hears a voice from the sky. This is God. Have faith. Just let go. And he stops and he thinks and he yells again, is there anybody else up there? Right? So he doesn't like that there's only one choice. He doesn't like that there's only the one choice when God says just let go. The second one is not just one family, but there is one spirit, which also then means one faith. Because the work of the Spirit is to work faith in the hearts of people. I had a great question as someone went out of church this morning. She said, because he's in my life in Christ class, she said, i got a big question I need to ask you. So now I say, well, tell me what it is now, otherwise I'll fret. So she says, okay, so how were people saved in the Old Testament if they didn't have Jesus? And I go, it's always nice when you got the answer. It's kind of cool. So I go, no, it's good. Don't, you know, people are saved. People have been saved the same way throughout all of human history. This is the truth. Were any of you present at the crucifixion and the resurrection? No. You believe because of the testimony of people who saw it, who bore witness to it, who gave their lives for it, who bore witness to what Christ had done. We believe in the testimony of others and the promises that God has made, correct? So did they in the Old Testament, didn't they? They believed in the promise that God would send a Savior and that he would fulfill that. And so we're saved exactly the same way. There's not a different God in the Old Testament and a different one in the New Testament. There's not a different faith in the Old Testament and a different or a different spirit. There's one spirit. And far too often do people kind of say, well, if you don't speak in tongues, it's not that way. Or if you don't do this, it's not good. If you, if you don't have the spirit of conquering or you don't have the spirit of this or that. And we go, wait, 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 wait. There's one spirit. 
No one can say Jesus Christ is Lord, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. So every voice who confesses Jesus Christ, true God, true man, full Savior, soul sufficient, is saying that because of the one Spirit. Every one of us, regardless of the label, who believes has one faith, not many faiths, but one faith given by one Spirit. Not my version of faith, but rather the faith which God has given throughout all time. Third one, one baptism. And if you've taken my class, you've heard me tell this story. But when I was on my internship in Oregon, so that I was in Eugene, and we went up the hill to Oak Ridge. Oak Ridge, a little lumber town, little lumber community. And so it was a little group of, uh, of trailers up there, and uh, get Helen uh, said, hey, would you come up and do a Bible class? So I'd go up there. She'd pack that, that trailer full of people. We'd have 12, 13, 14 people in there, and I'd, we'd do Bible class. It was a blast. It was great. And afterwards, about the third or fourth session, I come out, and Helen comes out, and she says, this is so wonderful. I want to be baptized. Could I be baptized? And I said, this is awesome, Helen. I said, but, I said, you know, you know your Bible better than, like, me. You're just, you are so well-versed, and you're so knowledgeable. I can hardly believe you haven't been baptized. And she said, oh, yeah, that's, I, this would be number 11. This would be my 11th time. And again, back then, I was young and, and uh, uh, well, I was dumber. <laughs> and, I said, and I said, blurted out of my mouth, I said, Helen, don't you think God did it right the first time? Because that's the baptism into which we are baptized. Not a baptism of my confession, or I gave my heart to Jesus, or I did this, or I responded to the call, but rather God met me with his gifts. God called me his child. God made me his own. And so we have one baptism into which we've been baptized, and that is to give us hope. When I said that to Helen, it wasn't meant to disparage what she had done. It was meant for me to encourage her. That one baptism that you had was all you needed because it was God who was doing the work. And so that's the power of ones. When we know there's one way, like for instance, If you discovered there was one cure for the cancer which you have contracted, would you pursue it? I think. Or would you decide that a regular uh, diet of Diet Pepsi and Egg McMuffins would cure that thing? Because I saw it on the internet. So one baptism. Last week, you know, I... I, I want to share this with you again, because uh, and actually I had both little boys here. I had Alex, and then I had uh, Cade come up, and I brought him up here. Because remember last week we talked about render to Caesar, the things that are Caesar's and think to God. And Jesus said, show me the coin, whose image is on it. And I wish I had thought of it sooner, because I wanted to flesh that out a little bit more. Because the power of that message was this. When Jesus says, whose image is on there, and they go, Caesar's. I believe that Jesus is is essentially with his disciples saying, but look at this little boy. Whose image is on him? And whose image is on you? Because the image of God rests on every one of you. And that's the value that you need to know. And that you need to know whose you are. That's the power of that. Sure, Caesar might have his image on a piece of metal. But the Almighty God has placed His image upon each one of us. 
That's how valuable and precious we are to him. And it coupled with this idea, when we say one Lord, God, and Father of us all, I, this is a story that I have read years ago, and I love it. So there's this couple that's traveling through Tennessee, and they come to a little stop at a diner, and they sit down, and you know, it's, it's just a little town, and so everybody knows each other, and they're being treated in a real friendly way, and this elderly gentleman comes up and says, hi folks, where are you from? And they tell him, he says, can I sit down with you? And they're kind of like, eh, okay. Well, he sits down. So he says, hey, you see that mountain over there? There was, there was a little boy that was born there, a story of this area. And he says, you know, in those days, it was, very, it was years ago, and it was a very conservative time. And so a boy who was born without a dad, an unwed mom, that, didn't, that was not real pretty in those days. And he had a hard time, because everywhere he'd go, he'd have to field the same question, who's your daddy? And it was said kind of not real kind, hey, who's your daddy? And so it was said all the time, at school, at the grocery store, on recess, wherever it is, he would hide during school days. He would hide for other, from other students. He would avoid going into stores because the question just hurt him so bad. But when he was about 12, a new pastor came into town, and he would always, and so this little boy would always go in late, slip out early, so he wouldn't ever have to answer this question at church. Well, one day the pastor, the pastor said the benediction so fast he beat him out, and so he got caught with the crowd. And as he went out the one door of the church, of course, the pastor at that time, not knowing anything about him, put his hand on this boy's shoulder and said, son, who's your daddy? And everyone who knew this and knew this kid in the situation got deathly quiet. Every eye in the church was on him and everyone would finally know the answer to this question, who's your daddy? Well, the new preacher, thank God, had at least some pastoral sense and discernment and he understood what was going on. And in that moment, he said something important, guided by the Holy Spirit. Wait a minute, he said. I know exactly who you are. I see the family resemblance. You're a child of God. And with that, he patted the boy on his shoulder. Boy, you got a great inheritance. Go claim it. And so with that, the boy smiled for the first time in a long time. And he charged out the door. He was a changed person, never to be the same again. So whenever anyone asked him, hey, who's your daddy? He would say, I'm a child of God. And that guy got up from the table with the couple and he said, what do you think? It's a pretty good story. They said, yeah, it's pretty amazing. And the guy said, you know, if that new pastor hadn't told me that I was one of God's children, I probably never would have amounted to anything. And he walked away. They called to the waitress and they said, do you know who that is? And she said, well, of course I do. Everybody knows him. That's Ben Hooper. He's the former governor of Tennessee. It's a true story. Former governor of Tennessee. Whose image is on you? Who's your daddy? And the reason we are one family is because we have one father. Thanks be to God. Last one. You know, I, one of the powerful things that I love, I'm going to preach at Pastor Von Bush's installation here this afternoon, and I told him, I said, you know, of course I will indulge you, and I will have a Lord of the Rings reference in there for you. I've got one for you here, too. You know, it's interesting. When I read The Lord of the Rings, it's such a fascinating contrast because they put all their hope on this. He's called a hobbit, right? It's three or four feet high. They're nobody in terms of the annals of, of Middle Earth. He's not a great ranger or warrior. He's not a great philosopher or wizard. They're just nobodies. And they entrust to this nobody the ring of power and their only hope to defeat their enemy. 
You know, when you read it, and, and actually the peoples in that time, they respond the same way. Who in their right mind? Who in their right mind would do this? And I think that, I think that the world would say that every time they look at a cross. Who in their right mind thinks that this is your one hope? And yet Christians have been declaring that for 2,000 years. That this is our one and only hope. Our cross to give us absolute confidence so that we know that that cross which is placed upon us at our baptism, that cross which has claimed us as his very own, that cross which was staked in the ground to say this far and no farther evil, this far and no farther death, is our one hope because of our one Savior and the grace which he alone provides. That's the celebration of this day and that I pray gives us the confidence Christ longs for us to have. Let's pray. You know what? Let's join together in prayer. We'll do all our prayers together. Let's stand and pray. Gracious Lord God, we give you thanks and praise for this day in which we can celebrate our one hope. We don't have to pick the right door. We don't have to feel as if we did we study enough for the test. Or did we build the proper resume? Did we fill all our options? But rather, Lord Jesus, in revealing yourself as the hope of the world, you give us great confidence, knowing that it is not dependent upon our ability nor our choice, but that you chose us and that you chose to redeem this world in your mighty power and in your overwhelming love. For that, we give you thanks and praise this day that we remember the Reformation, going back to those things alone, the simple grace which you have revealed to us in Christ. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we ask you to be with those who seek your healing touch. On this day, we remember um, Bobby and his family, um, Ron and his brothers, and Anne, those that grieve the loss. Especially, Lord, we remember dear Esther, Lord, 97 years old, this was a man who throughout all his career ran towards the fire to save and help and bless those, those of us that he served. We thank you, Lord, that you ran towards the fire for him and that he was a model of faith and bore witness. And thank you for his family that surrounded him and carried him so well and so beautifully. We praise you, Lord, for those witnesses of faith in our life. We rejoice but also grieve with those who mourn that loss. We celebrate his homecoming to you, Lord Jesus. Lord, in your mercy. Father, for those who seek healing, uh, as Corinne continues to recovery from uh, hip surgery and Rod from surgery, Lord, we're so thrilled to see James and Sherry here with us and all those who are healing from uh, COVID-19. We pray for our hospital, which is now at virtually at capacity, Lord. We long, Lord, for the, for the development of, of treatments and of vaccines And of the opportunity, Lord, to move any of this away from any political situations. But rather focus clearly on the health and life of these, your people. People who are made in your image and who are precious in your sight. So, Lord, we pray for healing in every way possible. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, for those who are uh, recovering in other ways, for for Steve and for Katina, for Carolyn, and for, for those battling cancer, Charity and Terry, for Carla and for Chuck. We pray, Lord, that you would be with all of them. Encourage them with your presence. Remind them of your promise. Raise us up to be agents of your mercy. 
Lord, in your mercy. Father, we ask you to be with Pastor Von Bush and his family as now. Today they'll be installed. We celebrate with the Trinity Lutheran Church and with that community. Lord, we ask simply that, that they would care for one another and that, and that he would be faithful and bold in his proclamation of the good news and that many would come to know the love of Jesus Christ, their Savior, through that body of Christians in that place. Encourage them, Lord. Light the light. Fan the flame. Encourage them in every way to serve the people in that, in that place. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, we're coming to the Lord's table now at your invitation. Lord, you invite us to come. So, Lord, prepare us. Make us humble, Lord, eager to receive what you offer. Because where your body and blood are, those also are your gifts. Just as you died on the cross. Lord, a real death. Uh, so these are real gifts that you give to your people. So that we know with certainty... That's the idea, Lord, with certainty that our sins are forgiven and that you are our Savior. And so, Lord, prepare us as we come. You invite us. You bless us. And so, Lord, we receive you as you come to us in your body and blood. And, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have made us family. And so, together, we will pray as your family prays. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. If you have any questions or comments about this sermon, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org. And make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go.